My name is Leslie Payne. Welcome to Below the Median Income. The land on which we gather is the traditional lands of Iowa Tribe of Kansas and Nebraska, Iowa Tribe of Oklahoma, Meskwaki Nation, Sac and Fox Tribe of the Mississippi in Iowa, and the Sioux people. We pay our respect to elders, both past and present. Below the Median Income was inspired by two quotes. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. From entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn. And on March 12, 2018, Director Joshua V. Barr of the Des Moines Civil and Human Rights Commission said, We have 75% of students experiencing some form of poverty in Des Moines public schools. So what can we do to improve that outlook? Research has shown that if a person remains in an impoverished condition up through their adolescent years, they are more likely to remain in that position as they become older and become adults. These quotes and the information related to them evolved into an art installation, visual and audio components to place the visitor outside the space they routinely travel. The audio components are interview recordings obtained from people involved with public or nonprofit organizations. The interviews tell the visitor about where that person routinely travels. The installation contrasts Des Moines ranking as a best-in-nation place to live, Iowa Nice reputation of being overly friendly and go out of our way to help fellow citizens, and the visitor's personal story. My guest for day two is Evelyn. She's a member of the Professional Women's Group, also known as PWG. It is a program offered to clients of the nonprofit organization Dress for Success Des Moines. The group provides practical information and inspiration to achieve self-defined success in career and life. Thank you for joining me, Evelyn. What neighborhood of Des Moines do you live in? In Southside. Finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see... The trees and there's like a little mall in front of where I live in. But it is nice because it looks like city and country at the same time. Where did you live before you moved to Iowa? From Puerto Rico 12 years ago. What was it like when you left Puerto Rico? It was good. I used to like it over there and I was in university, but um, it was hard to get a job. So that's what made me come to the United States. Was there a lot of language or cultural differences between Puerto Rico and the United States? Yeah, because over here there's people from everywhere. <laughs> so in Puerto Rico, like, that's just Spanish and English because we see people from here, from the United States, but um, other different countries, not really. Maybe Dominicans or other Latin cultures, but not, not from other countries like here. So we got people from everywhere. You spent some time in Northeast United States. What made you come to the Des Moines area? I was in Connecticut and 
I moved to Des Moines because I heard it was better living and more jobs. So I checked online and it was a lot of good reference about Des Moines, so I decided to move. Did you move for your brother is in the area? My brother was living here five years ago. How did he find Des Moines? Because uh, his sister-in-law. Oh, his sister-in-law. Yeah, I was living in here. Do you think you'll stay here for a long time? Um, I'm planning to stay for for very long. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first impression of Des Moines? You've only been here six months, right? Yes, only six months. My first impression was like, it was positive. I like it because there's so many parts and it looks so beautiful. Even it was still like cold when I get here. Yeah. I came at the end of March. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, but so far um, when I came and started looking at parks, so many parks, I didn't even visit all of them. But yeah, I think it's beautiful and it feels so different. Even the air, I feel different. And most of your family's in Des Moines now? No, just two of my kids and two of my grandkids and my brother. But I feel like I'm trying to get better and stable to get my other two daughters to get come here. I want them to move here because I think over here is so, like, awesome. Are they in Connecticut? They're in Connecticut, yeah. Oh. And the older one, she got kids, and I think that would be great for her to be in here with the kids, grow the kids in here. What's a typical weekday, like Monday to Friday, what's your schedule? If you have um, to average it out. Normally, um, I go to work Monday to Friday. I work 7 to 3.30, then go home, cook, rest, watch TV with the kids and my, my daughter and my son that live with me. And what about weekend? What do you, you to average out your weekend? Um, weekends, I work some days part-time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to church on Sundays in the morning, go to the movies, and sometimes we go to the park. Or just drive around somewhere. Where do you go to church? I found this church. It's, I like it. It's, it's big, but it's like Hispanic and English. We have both and gray shirt. And I feel really good in that church because um, when I went the first time, I was thinking I was lost because I was looking for a Spanish church. Oh. And it was like American people over there, but everybody was so nice, and they showed me because they have a, li- a lot of different rooms. So, yeah, I've been going over there, and it's really nice. It feel like family, everybody. What organization referred you to Just for Success? I was in the program supporting housing when I was in Connecticut, and they referred me... The social worker that was, in my case, referred me to um, Dress for Success for the program they have for um, how to do interview resumes and that type of stuff. And I said, yes, I want to do that. So I went and I liked it. So I stayed. I was kind of lost for the last time because I was too busy working and I had custody of my grandson. but. How soon I get here, I said, I'm new here, I don't know nobody, just my brother, so I gotta, let me see if I found them 
they have over here in Ambles that I found them. Yeah. Great. Yeah. What helped you with the women's group? I think it helped me a lot. Before, more scared, like, to do for different jobs, to do interviews with the program. I learned how to not to be scared and do the resume and like, interview for jobs and realize what I really want. My guest for day 10 is Madison Deshay Duncan. She founded Community Legacy Matters Incorporated to research and develop creative and innovative educational resources that preserve, promote, and educate the public on the history of Iowa's culturally significant but historically underrepresented communities. One of those projects is a documentary titled The Center Street Story, an Urban Renewal Retrospective. Through the voices of former business owners and residents, the documentary tells the rise and fall of the historic Center Street community, an African-American business district that existed for more than five decades prior to being destroyed as a result of the 1950s Oak Ridge Urban Renewal Project. Thank you for joining me, Madison. What neighborhood of Des Moines do you live in? I live in the King Irving neighborhood. Who do you live with? I live with my husband, Richard Duncan. Finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see... I see cultural diversity. When I step outside the place I live, I hear... Music. I hear sounds of laughter. I hear kids playing in the park. I hear the same things that other people hear in their neighborhood. How did your parents influence your life to where you're at now? My parents were community activists and organizers. My dad was in CORE. My mother was in the NAACP. I grew up on the east side of Des Moines, over across from Martin Luther King Jr. Park. My mother was president of the Neighborhood Association, so they're very much involved in the community organizing. Which Des Moines public schools did you attend? I went to Longfellow Elementary, Brody Junior High, and Tech High School. What made you want to stay in Des Moines? My family is from Quad Cities, but I've been here since I was eight years old, so I mean, it's home. Do you go to church or follow a religious practice? I follow a religious practice. I'm Baptist. How does that play a role in your everyday life or decisions? Religion guides my life. Do you vote in elections? I do. Why do you vote? I vote because I'm concerned about who's running the country. I'm probably more concerned or I pay attention to the local elections because I have a master's in community regional planning and understand that change happens at the community level. What changes would you want for Des Moines on a community level? I would want to see equity in community investment by the city of Des Moines. So in other words, I'd want to see the King Irving neighborhood receive the same type of investment as other parts of the city. Describe a typical weekday for yourself. 
So a typical day would be to teach a class at Iowa State University, come home and then write my dissertation and pretty much enjoy the evening with my husband. (laughs) And what do you like to do in your free time? Free time, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) I like to watch movies. I like to bake cupcakes and stuff like that. What trait do you admire most in the people closest to you? The people that I'm surrounded with care about humanity. How did you find out about Center Street? My husband, (laughs) Richard Duncan, who narrates the documentary, told me about Center Street when I was inquiring. Well, I wasn't inquiring about a black community or black culture in Des Moines. I was saying that there wasn't any at that particular time because I didn't see it. And I was comparing it to like Washington, D.C. and places of that nature. He politely informed me that there was a black community at one time and told me kind of what transpired. When did you decide to make a documentary about Center Street? I started researching Center Street back in 96. Documentary, probably the ideal for that, was kind of always at the forefront of that, but the active pursuit of it would have been 2010, 2011. How did you come up with the organization's name? Once I asked the question about Center Street, because I didn't know. I didn't grow up in that type of a community. Although I did grow up in a predominantly Black community, it wasn't like Center Street. I didn't grow up with the doctor and the judges. Because it wasn't just about clubs and restaurants, but you had everyone lived in the neighborhood. For me, it was about really remembering that. Children grow up to be who they see. And since our Black neighborhoods was displaced, they don't have that. So how do you get that back? Community Legacy Matters. That's what we do. We bring that history back so that children can begin to see these people. Some of the students that I talk to don't realize their parents' involvement or their grandparents' involvement because they don't ask those questions. And so we have asked those questions and then put that information out there. Who do you want to share the Center Street documentary with? What I typically do is I will adapt it to whatever group I'm talking to so that they can know the people in the neighborhood. We like to say anyone from eight to five old can use the information. When you're talking about younger children, it's a matter of instilling that sense of place or giving them a sense of place, especially children of color that don't often see themselves in the textbooks and they don't often have the context of their community. To hear children come up to me afterwards and say, yeah, I live in that neighborhood and they can feel good about that. I also created an exhibit It's the Center Street Revisited exhibit where Mr. DePatton, the same gentleman who donated for the historical building exhibit, also gave me some of the artifacts that came from his businesses. Richard gave me some artifacts from their home. I've recreated some of Center Street and I take those pieces in and we talk about a sense of place. Talk about the college students. It's a matter of teaching them, like I said, about a sense of place and getting them to understand the history of not all neighborhoods, but particularly Black neighborhoods. You have teachers going into these schools that go on with a particular perspective. Our concern is that 
children are not taught based on stereotypes or based on uh, preconceived notions about a particular area, about the King Irving neighborhood or the River Bend neighborhood. Teachers come out with a particular viewpoint of these children, and it can be a barrier. Part of using the documentaries get rid of that barrier and have those conversations, and they begin to see these students in a different light. What does success look like for you? Success to me will look like once I've completed my dissertation in the documentary, success, I believe, will be its use, the way that it's used and making sure that it has impact. My guest for day 15 is Anthony San. He works with Turnaround Arts Des Moines and Run DSM to share his breakdancing skills with the students in Des Moines Public Schools. The organizations use arts education as a tool to help create improved conditions for learning in some of the most challenged schools in the city. Thank you for joining me, Anthony. What neighborhood of Des Moines do you live in? I currently live in Highland Park neighborhood on the north side. Who do you live with? My wife and two kids. What languages do you know? English, Khmer, which is my parents' language, and a little bit of Spanish. Your parents immigrated from Cambodia. Did you grow up speaking Khmer? Yes, when I was living with my mom and dad, but as I got into schools, I kind of stopped learning. It was hard because my uh, mom was also learning English, so English was the main language in our home. Finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see... Mm, Diversity. Which Des Moines public schools did you go to? I went to Hillis Elementary, Merrill Middle School, and then Roosevelt High School. What made you want to stay in Des Moines? Seeing the growth of Des Moines as I was growing up, so that'd be special to just stay here and keep watching it grow for the better. What do you like to do in your free time? Spend time with my son and family, and then just kind of relax and enjoy my free time because <laughs> both your kids are probably under five is that uh, one is two and one is seven okay so <laughs> yeah two's busy age yeah <laughs> do you vote in elections yes which ones local national i'd say mostly national why is it important i think it's important to get your vote out and let your voice be heard by voting How has volunteering your time made an impact on your life? I feel like it helps giving up your time to uh, help others who are doing events or just in need, trying to make a better place. What trait do you admire in the people closest to you? Hard work and dedication are two good ones for me that I see in my friends and families.
what does success look like for you? Just accomplishing simple goals and doing better than what you did yesterday. When is the last time you asked for help? You can always ask for help. <laughs> I tend to ask for help a lot. We're just through friends who you know, want to help me and take the load off my shoulders. Do you follow a religious practice or go to a place of worship? Yes, I do. How does that play a role in your life? We're a Christian-based family, <laughs> so we grew up in a Christian home and went to church Sundays and Wednesdays. What do you enjoy about it? Just having a foundation and my faith. How did you find out you liked breakdancing? The people that went to my church always thought it was cool, and I see it on TV. When I saw it live, it was kind of mesmerizing. And I finally decided to take a workshop at my summer camp. After high school, I started really getting into it, and it was just a big challenge for me trying to learn these moves and trying to accomplish them. Describe a typical week. I work at Oak Park Elementary Monday through Fridays. After Oak Park, I head out to Merrill Middle School to teach breakdancing or breaking. On Tuesdays, I head over to Des Moines Social Club to teach breakdancing for kids, level one and two. And then on Wednesdays, I head over to BU Dance Company out in Urbandale. Thursday, I go to Harding Middle School and work with the Harding Breakers. Who helped you bring your breakdancing skills to students in the Des Moines Public Schools? Through Movement 515's Christopher Rollins and Emily Lang. They really wanted me to teach the youth, and they liked what I was doing with the local scene. When the opportunity came up, I got to teach at the Des Moines Social Club. Has your interest in breakdancing allowed you to go new places? I got to do workshops out of town, and we'll go compete at events in the Midwest, and we even got to do a performance on the East Coast. What are things that the students have taught you? That uh, you always have to change up your teaching style. When you first teach, it doesn't always work out with all the kids, so you always have to adjust what you're teaching and how you're teaching it. And then just patience. <laughs> <laughs> What motivates you? I'd say definitely kids, especially the ones that look up to me and you know always ask me for advice and helps me better myself and want to work harder for them and for my community. My guest for day 18 is Mathia. She is a support group facilitator and trainer for the state of Iowa with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. The mental health organization is dedicated to building better lives for those affected by mental illness. The staff and volunteers work in your community to raise awareness and provide support and education that was not previously available to those in need. Thank you for joining me, Mathia. What neighborhood of Des Moines do you live in? I live in Oak Ridge neighborhood. Who do you live with? Myself.
finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see... Other apartments, mature trees, a picnic table, an outdoor stationary grill, and a small playground for the kids. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood, and only a few African-Americans were in the neighborhood. The elementary school I went to had only three or four African-American children attended, and by the time I graduated from Minneapolis Central High School, there were about 30 in my graduating class. Now the neighborhood I grew up in is just about all African-American. Do you vote in elections? Voting is really important to me. Besides the fact that my ancestors died so we as black folks could vote, my father was a huge civil rights activist in Minneapolis. He was the president of the NAACP and led the Minnesota contingent to the March on Washington, did I say 1963? He, in the name of NAACP, brought a lot of lawsuits against the state of Minnesota and the city of Minneapolis as far as getting more black firefighters, police officers, and there was a anti-segregation suit, a fair housing suit, that he was actually responsible for getting through the NAACP. It kind of sort of is in our DNA, but I want to make sure that I have some input in the electoral process. How did you end up in Des Moines? I've been here eight years. I have an adult daughter living with autism, and she was in crisis. So I needed to come here and assist her. She doesn't live with me, but I do work with the agency that works with her to help her with self-sufficiency. She's doing way better than she was when I first came. In fact, my plan is to go back home within the next, at the latest, two years. My hope is less than a year, but two years at the most. What was your first impression of Des Moines? It's smaller than Minneapolis. And they have very different values than what I was raised. It would appear that the middle class African Americans are a lot more tolerant of the inequities of the ignorances of white folks than those that don't have that much privilege, the black folks that don't have that much privilege. That's not the way it is in Minneapolis at all. It's kind of way different. It was a cultural change to move here. Describe a typical weekday. I am retired, so there isn't a typical weekday. I get a leisurely wake-up, watch TV, eat breakfast, read books, work on a project, and go to a meeting or do a presentation. 
that's kind of basically my normal day. I have, like today, I'm talking to you, <laughs> and then I'm going to go and pick up my daughter, and then I go eat, and then go to see that movie, Us. Do you go to church or follow a religious practice? I am a Baptist. I'm a member of a Baptist church. I consider myself spiritual, and I really don't attend a place of worship on a regular basis, but I have what they call a church family, so I can go into the church, and I know a lot of folks there. How has volunteering your time made an impact on your life? It kind of defines who I am. When my kids were growing up, I was the president of two PTAs. I was on site-based management at the schools, and I did some other community activist stuff. Just before I left, I started volunteering when the people came to Minneapolis because they got displaced from the Gulf Coast because of Katrina. There were a few of us that volunteered like 16 hours a day. I then became the director of a program, so then I got paid. Since I've been here, I volunteered a lot at church, actually, and I started a mental health ministry at Corinthian Baptist Church. I volunteer a lot with Mommy Greater Des Moines, the NAACP and oh cci that's enough i think even though i try i'm retired so i'm trying to make sure that i have this free time i work really hard at it sometimes takes a long time to get retired (laughs) (laughs) what's something you do for yourself i spend time with my adult children and i have adult grandchildren I have eight children, and I don't even remember how many grandchildren. I actually have great-grandchildren. So there's a lot of them. My youngest daughter is like 34. She lives in Washington, D.C., and is a public defender. So I will see her next month, and I'll spend time with her. And that's me time for me. trait do you admire most in the people closest to you? Intelligence, kindness, and commitment to community. When is the last time you asked for help? I am not really good at that. (laughs) When I broke my ankle, I had to ask one of my daughters to actually bring me to Minnesota because I needed to get the medical assistance. She was pretty angry at me that I waited so long to ask, but I really have a difficult time. And if I can get around it, I'll do it. I'm going out of town and Nami is paying for the trip. There were some questions I had about the flight and I actually asked the person that makes the arrangements, the questions that I had, Normally, I would break my neck to research it so I could find it on my own. I was proud of myself. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot to me. 
What motivates you? Justice. When I see injustice, I have a real difficult time not doing anything. Whatever I can do to change the way things are, I'll try. You know, and I get pretty frustrated sometimes because it just seems nothing's going to change. But that's what motivates me more than anything. How did you find out about NAMI? <laughs> Actually, my best friend from high school when I was in Minnesota, I was the director of African American Outreach at NAMI, Minnesota. And she had asked me if I wanted a job, a different job. I went and I interviewed. They gave me the job. That was the first I knew about NAMI. After I had been there for about six months, I had made a commitment that even, I said, the rest of my life I'm going to work with folks with mental health because when I meet somebody that is not affected by mental health, I will quit doing this work. I have yet to meet anybody that doesn't live with a mental illness themselves or doesn't have a close loved one that has a mental illness. And in the African-American community, it's worse. My goal right now is to develop some programs in the African-American community. So I have been working with NAMI, oh my goodness, almost 15 years, I guess, as a paid person and as a volunteer. What have you learned about yourself through your involvement with NAMI? I'm more patient than I thought I was, but then I'm not as tolerant as I thought I was. I've learned that I have the ability to learn different personality styles so that I can work with them, which if you'd asked me even three years ago, I would tell you I don't have any patience for folks, period. So I've gotten better with that in my old age. I've learned a lot about myself, and makes me happy. What challenges do you run into as a state trainer? Different personalities. Racism is incredible, and ageism is incredible, in that I'm an old black woman, so therefore, when I come to do the training, there are some younger Caucasian folks that have a tendency to be just downright rude. That's why I said I have learned to deal with different kinds of personalities. The thing is, what they don't realize is I have the control. I have the power to certify them or not certify them. So they might want to work with me. Most of the folks I can work with and kind of move them along. There have been a couple that I did a favor by pulling them aside and saying, you are getting real close to not getting certified, and these are the things that you need to do. I've done that because I'm older. Had I been younger, they just wouldn't have been certified, period. But now I do realize that some people just don't know better. That's just who they are. 
If you can work with them, that's good. But if you can't, they can't be good facilitators for people that live with a mental illness because people have different kinds of mental illness. It's just not one. How long does it take to get certified for NAMI? It depends on where you live, what the need is in that area, and what the resources are. Because we're mostly volunteer. For me, because I was a staff person in Minnesota, I had access to resources that a lot of other folks did. It was relatively a short time for me to be certified because I just consistently went through the different trainings. Here in Des Moines, it normally takes folks about a year. How do people find out about support groups for NAMI? We have a newsletter and websites, and primarily that's how they find out. We are not doing real active outreach because we don't have enough facilitators. So in the city of Des Moines, that, what did you say, is 600 um, If you talk about greater Des Moines, it hovers around 600, 750,000, depending on how far out you want to go. Okay, well, we have a support group that meets in the afternoon every Tuesday, and then a support group that meets Wednesday evenings twice a month. We don't have enough facilitators to do anymore, so we can't do real active outreach. My plan is within the next six months to train some African-American facilitators to go into the churches and do some support groups. But it's real difficult to do because there is a huge stigma in the African-American community, partly because the medical community hasn't been real kind to the African-American community, and you're talking about people's brains. So why would we have the medical community do something with our brains? It's like, nope. (laughs) But that's my goal. What's your favorite part of being a facilitator? I love seeing people learn to like themselves, learn to accept their mental illness, and go from a totally pale face to all of a sudden having color in their face. And that's whether they're white or black. It's like when they first come, they're really insecure. It takes a lot of courage to come to the first meeting. But after they've been coming for a while, it's amazing to see them smile and have more confidence and actually give support to other folks. So totally committed to particularly the support groups just because of that and the education groups because family members are the same way. When they come, they feel so isolated because their loved ones live with an illness. And they go from that to, well, I know a little bit more. I don't feel like I'm dumb, stupid, ignorant, and crazy. And I know it's not my fault. It keeps you going. It keeps me going anyway.